morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Sam. I'd like to start with a question. I often start with questions, but here's the question for this morning. How do you express your gratitude to God? How do you express your gratitude to God for anything, but specifically for the gift of forgiveness? How do you show your appreciation for having been forgiven? Do you express or indicate it quietly, silently, prayerfully, thoughtfully, all right, all good, all appropriate, or do you ever or would you ever express it visibly, publicly, loudly, even outrageously? In about 15 to 20 minutes, we're going to share communion together, which is something we do here every week at Windsor. We're going to eat bread, we're going to drink wine, and we're going to remember and give thanks for what God has done for us. We're going to celebrate the fact that we can be and we are forgiven by Jesus. But the question is, how will we convey and demonstrate our gratitude this morning? Maybe a little differently. I hope so. And the reason I've started like this is because we're about to meet someone. We're about to encounter someone who was incredibly grateful for having been forgiven. Someone who knew they were loved by Jesus, accepted by him, and welcomed into the community of the forgiven, into the family of God. And this person expressed their, their gratitude and their appreciation in no uncertain terms, much to the horror of lots of other people. We don't know this person's name, but her story is one of the most shocking, uncomfortable, exciting, and dramatic in the whole of the New Testament. And for me, this lady is another one of the unsung heroes of the Bible that we've been thinking about this summer. And we find her story in Luke chapter 7, so if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn there? It's page 1036 in the Red Pew Bibles. I'm not going to read her story. I'm going to tell her story, but it would be really helpful if everyone could see a copy of God's Word. So if somebody beside you doesn't have a copy, if you can share with them, that would be great. But let me set the scene for this story. And the scene is a dinner party, and the host is a Pharisee, and his name is Simon, and Jesus is present. And Pharisees are hard-line religious types who thought they were a cut or two above everybody else. They tended to clash with Jesus on a regular basis, and although they didn't have a lot of time for Jesus, they spent a lot of time around him, mainly because they wanted to suss him out and trip him up. But there were some men from within their ranks who seemed a little more open. A few more mellow individuals who appeared slightly more willing to give Jesus a fair hearing. And initially, Simon seems to be one of those. And so according to verse 36, he invites Jesus to have dinner with him. 
Now, Jesus had a reputation for only ever eating with the wrong kinds of people. Glance up to verse 34, or it's on the screen here, and you'll get the point. But on this occasion, Jesus accepts a dinner invitation with the right kind of person who turns out to be the wrong kind of person for reasons that will become apparent in a moment. And as you read the rest of the story, you discover that there's not just Jesus and this Pharisee having a meal for two. There are other guests present. But that doesn't become apparent until verse 49. But before that, you're quickly introduced to the third key character in this story. So you've got Simon, the Pharisee, the host. You've got Jesus, the invited guest. And then you have this local, unnamed uninvited woman who never speaks during the entire episode. During this whole incident, she remains totally silent. And all we know about her life is what we read in verse 37. It says she lived a sinful life. Now, that's a loaded description. She was a sinner, but we all are. But it's generally accepted that this woman was a prostitute. She was the town harlot, as Peterson describes her in the message. And therefore, her mere presence at what would have probably been a meal-only dinner party would have been so awkward. So awkward. But what she actually then does, and what she clearly came to do, was very, very embarrassing and disturbing. She comes in and she's carrying this jar of perfume. And she goes and she stands behind Jesus. She starts crying. And because people didn't sit at dinner tables, people reclined at dinner tables. So you've got to imagine the table. You've got to imagine Jesus reclined, head at the table, feet back here. It means that the stand behind Jesus, she stood over his feet. And as she cries, her tears start to fall on the feet of Jesus. Now you must have been able to cut the atmosphere in this room with a knife. Jesus doesn't flinch. And then the scene becomes even more intimate because she bends down and she starts wiping and kissing the feet of Jesus. Becomes so electric. And then she pours the perfume on. She wipes. And she kisses. And this was intense. And people in that room would have been just astounded at what they were seeing, lost for words, offended deeply. Jesus doesn't flinch. Everyone else is speechless, although internally their minds are racing, their minds are working overtime, and none more so than Simon's mind, the host. And so according to verse 39, and this is brilliant, 
he talks to himself. He doesn't verbalize his thoughts. He can't bring himself to say anything out loud. Instead, he just says to himself, and look at this, this is what he says internally in his mind. Nobody else hears this. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. You see, Simon had not only made his mind up about this woman, he'd also made his mind up about Jesus. But he keeps his condemning, judgmental comments to himself. So he thinks. Because it turns out that Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. Jesus knows his thoughts. You see, you can't keep your prejudices, your bigotry secret even if you never articulate them to someone else. And that in itself is a sobering thought this morning. And so verse 40 says, Jesus answered him, which is weird because Simon hasn't talked to him. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, which just simply does confirm, Jesus knows our thoughts. Jesus knows what you're thinking right now. It also, in a rather ironic way, just confirms that Jesus was actually a prophet. And says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And in typical Jesus fashion, rather than simply say what he wants to say, he tells a short story. He tells a parable because Jesus knows, listen, for me to say this is one thing, but actually stories connect, stories draw people in, stories help us to discover more. So I'm going to tell you a story, Simon. Here's the story. Two men owed a moneylender some cash. One of them owed 500 denarii. The other owed 50. Neither of them were able to pay up. One of them owes a year and a half's wages. One of them owes about two months' wages. And then Jesus reveals that the money lender forgives both of them, lets them off. And then Jesus asks a question. It's a really short story. And then Jesus asks a question, which one of them will love the moneylender more? There's a shift in language, notice here. We've moved from debt to love. Which one of these men will love the moneylender more? The answer is obvious. And Simon gives the answer, although notice how reluctantly he gives the answer. Here's what Simon says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus confirms that Simon has judged correctly, but then the story becomes even more dramatic if that was possible, because Jesus then turns and he locks eyes with the woman. And he asks Simon another question, which again is a masterstroke, because questions take us on a journey of discovery. And so Jesus looks at this woman and turns to Simon and says, do you see this woman? It's pretty obvious 
in a sense, Simon hasn't. At least he hasn't seen her as Jesus has seen her. Simon has seen a category of person. Simon has seen a type of person, a dirty, filthy sinner. Jesus, on the other hand, sees beyond the boxes, beyond the categories, beyond the labels that we tend to use, that we attach to those around us. And what does Jesus see? Who does Jesus see? Jesus sees a loving human being, a precious child of God. All Simon could see was her sin. And he made a judgment on her based on that. And he boxed her and he categorized her and he labeled her. Do you know, I found this incredibly challenging this week because it begs the question, how do we see people? Do we see people as people made in the image of God, loved human beings whom Christ has died for? Precious children of God, flawed, broken, in need of forgiveness, but loved? Or do we write people off? That's what Simon had done. And then in a series of contrasts, The woman's actions are then set against Simon's and it turns out that Simon has been less than the perfect host. He hasn't even met the basic standards of hospitality. Simon didn't offer Jesus any water to wash his feet. He didn't greet this invited guest with the customary kiss. He didn't anoint Jesus' head with olive oil, whereas this woman has wet his feet with tears, wiped them dry with her hair, kissed his feet, poured perfume on them. And therefore, and here comes the question again. Therefore, or the statement from Jesus, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, Simon, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, Simon's response to Jesus was measured and cold. As his rather kind of tragic attempts at hospitality revealed, he just like so many of the Pharisees, just like so many decent, religious, upright, relatively good people today, they didn't see their need to be forgiven much. And therefore, as a result of not seeing their need to be forgiven much, they didn't love much. And so their love for Jesus, it would seem, was lukewarm, and it was heartless, and it was apathetic, and it was unengaging, plus their love for others, their love for their neighbor was virtually non-existent. Whereas here's a woman who's met Jesus recently, who's been forgiven, and as a result of that, she loves extravagantly. And her expression of that love was exceptional in its extravagance. Yes, she knew she was a sinner. Listen, Jesus said there her many sins. She didn't need to be told that. She knew how messed up she was. But her debt's been cleared. And therefore, as a result, her loving actions at this dinner party were a passionate expression of her forgiveness and a passionate expression of her gratitude. And please don't miss this. Her forgiveness that she had experienced was not as a result of her loving actions. 
It wasn't because of what she was now doing that she had been forgiven. It was all because of Jesus and what he had done. He had forgiven her hours, days, weeks, months. We don't know how long before this incident Jesus had forgiven her, but he clearly had forgiven her. And as a result of her having received the forgiveness of Jesus, she loves much. And as we come to this table, The reality and the cost of our forgiveness is once again staring us in the face. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, all of us. And our debt to God was, is immense. And if you go back to the story of the moneylender for a moment, whenever he forgave both those guys' debts, he took the hit himself. He incurred the debts himself. And whenever we see that, we begin to understand and get an insight into this. Because whenever God forgave us, wasn't that our debts just disappeared? Jesus incurred them. Jesus took the hit. Jesus paid the price. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. And therefore, every single person sitting in this church this morning has been forgiven so much. And as we approach this table, I hope and pray that we'll come to it afresh this morning with a renewed and deep sense of gratitude and love. That we will love even more than the next person sitting beside us. Why? Because we appreciate and we value our forgiveness more than the next person sitting beside us. And then the challenge in this for us is to go from here and to perform actions, loving actions, as an expression of our forgiveness and gratitude. Listen, none of us can physically wash, wipe, kiss, or pour perfume on the feet of Jesus to say, thank you for saving us. We can't, none of us can do that. But what we can do is that we can walk out those doors and we can live lives of surrender and obedience to Jesus. We can walk as Christ walked. We can reflect his characteristics of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faith and gentleness and self-control. Not only in our daily lives, but also in all of our relationships. We can go from here and express our love for Jesus, our deep, deep love for Jesus because we realize how much we've been forgiven. We can express our love for Jesus in tangible, practical, honest to God ways as we live 24-7, as we rub shoulders with people. And sometimes what we do as expressions of our love for Jesus will be misunderstood, will be misconstrued, will offend some people, will upset some sensibilities. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And not only if we 
don't think we have been forgiven much. Not only may we end up loving God and Jesus just a little, but you know, tragically, we will end up loving each other and others just a little. And the story in Luke 7 ends with Jesus confirming that our sins are forgiven. And at this point, a kind of like row breaks out because this really offends people because only God can forgive sins. And who does Jesus think he is? And all of a sudden, the woman becomes an irrelevance again. And there are problems now with Jesus who's claiming this authority. And Jesus just leaves them to wrestle with the question to wrestle with this dilemma. And he turns to the woman, he turns to this unsung hero who, remember, hasn't said a thing. And he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we're left to assume that she did, rejoicing in forgiveness. And as someone who has just done something significant to express her gratitude to God, which is exactly what we're about to do now. Something highly significant to express our gratitude to God. But let me go back to our opening question. How will you what I want you to do this morning is I honestly want you to forget about everybody else here for a moment. How will you express your gratitude to God this morning for Jesus and for the forgiveness that is yours because of Jesus? 